Hey everybody, welcome to episode 168 of the Masterclass Podcast. My name is Cam Brennan, his name is Dave Hogue, and uh, we're here. We are here. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you? I am okay. Okay is good. I'm okay to be okay today. Yes. That's, I'm actually, no, I'm, I'm actually, I feel good. We just had a good off-air chat reminiscing about past times. I had a fantasy football draft with all my old college buddies last night reminiscing about old times. And it's, uh, it's very easy in the moment when things are hard to forget a lot of the good things that have been. Um, and so from that conversation last night with my old college buddies and the conversation we just had, I am, uh, I'm reminded of a lot of good memories and a lot of good people that I spent a lot of time with in the past that, uh, you know, is easily, uh, forgotten or ignored when present stuff is hard. So it's been, it's been a good 24 hours in that regard, Dave, just being reminded that, that life has had plenty of uh, entertainment, enjoyment, good relationships, fun times, um, great memories. So I'm feeling uh, energized in that way. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Oh yeah, definitely. So we are here, and uh, I'd also I'd also like to offer an official apology to the listeners. <laughs> There was a point last episode in which I said early on in the show, I teased that we were going to be in a new book because we finished James last episode. And I said something along the lines of, Dave, should we tell them now? Oh, no, let's tease them a bit. We'll drag it out. We'll tell them at the end of the episode what book we're going to next. And we totally didn't tell you because, (laughs) big shock, I forgot. (laughs) <laughs> and I was so wrapped up in, in what we were talking about the, the rest of that episode that I totally didn't do my job and tell you what I promised I would tell you. So uh, I'm sorry. And um, drum roll, please. <laughs> drum roll myself. Uh, we are in the book of Hebrews now. We have magically shifted a, a few pages in our Bible, and now we are going to spend the next however many episodes discussing the book of Hebrews. Dave, how do you feel about this? Uh, I feel good about it. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully it'll be uh, different than what we've done. Probably not significantly, but... Well, I mean, um, it will be different in the sense that um, Hebrews is a kind of like a it's a unique book in the in the new testament as far as like we don't know who wrote it right we don't know who they wrote it to and we don't know where the people that were being addressed even lived yes so there is a lot of unknowns about this book and when you compare it to the books that we've done in the past john romans and james those weren't necessarily issues per se, depending hmm. on the book with a little bit of variance, right? But but Hebrews kind of stands alone in in the Bible as a book with a lot of theories about who wrote it, when it was written, who it was written to, and where those I mean, the theories on where the people lived range anywhere from Judea, 
which is next to Israel, to Spain, which is the far <laughs> western side. You know, obviously Portugal wins by a little bit uh, of the Mediterranean, right? It's sure. the entire span of the known world at that point. Um, so it's, uh, I'm excited about it. I, I happen to, like, there are certain parts of Roman, or gosh, certain parts of Hebrews that I haven't read in a really, really long time, and there are certain parts of Hebrews that I've read very recently. In fact, at youth group, we spent four weeks in a row talking about chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, um, taking it you know, very, very slowly. That's a very well-known part of Hebrews, but I'm excited for the parts of Hebrews that I, I've forgotten. Um, and I'm excited because it's just a really good book, Dave, and I have a nice little commentary on it that I'm excited <laughs> to read and share fun facts from, but yeah. So you're, you're, you're okay with the book choice? I, yes, I'm quite, quite good with it. And I realized earlier, I just said that we talked about the book of John. That's a lie. We did Matthew, Romans, and James. <laughs> John was the book that we were debating with Romans about which one do we do? Hebrews. We, so we're, we chose Hebrews. So now that I have officially screwed up multiple times in the last two episodes, let's all take a deep cleansing breath <laughs> and move on, shall we? Um, is there anything else you want to talk about before we jump into the uh, first chapter of Hebrews? Mm, I think I'm good. All right, well, would you like to read the first four verses of chapter one? Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. I love that it starts with long ago. <laughs> The obvious, you know. Once upon a time. Yeah, or a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? Like, it's, the, 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 the start of the letter is just, it's, it almost kind of puts you at ease. Like, oh, once upon a time, long, long ago, like, oh, we're, we're telling a story, right? It, mm -hmm. it, it automatically, like, sets your brain up for, oh, I'm listening to a story now. Uh, which I think is really clever by our, our mystery writer. Mm -hmm. uh, and it says that many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And this is obviously referencing the entire Old Testament, right? Because in yeah. many ways and in many times. So you have, you have like the oral tradition of the, the Pentateuch, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which is narrative history. You have the minor prophets and the major prophets. You have the wisdom literature, Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. You've got uh, Song of Solomon. Uh, and you have, again, all of the different prophets and the different ways that God spoke with them and interacted with them and the people. You've got 
you know, uh, I can never remember if it's Elijah or Elisha, the one who had the she bears mall, those young men, which of course <laughs> we made t-shirts about many years ago. Uh, you have people, um, you know, God's speaking through, uh, who was, uh, was it, who was the prophet, the person that, um, was with Saul and David? What was his name? I can't remember. Samuel. Was it Samuel? I forget. I mean, Samuel was a major part of the, uh, yeah, King David and Saul, but yeah. I'll take your word for it. I don't remember. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I had, I can like picture what I imagine his face to look like, which of course makes no sense because the Bible doesn't have pictures. Unless it's like, have you seen the action Bible, Dave? I can't say that I have. It is a graphic novelized version of the Bible. <laughs> Which, you know, okay, whatever. Um, but anyways, there's th- this concept, right? Many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets in different locations, in different times, in various ways, be it through, you know, uh, visions like in Daniel uh, or, uh, or histories or wisdom literature in the way that, that God spoke through the Psalms. There are all of these various ways that, that God chose to speak to his people. I find it interesting that the author you know, summarizes the Old Testament so quickly, and I, and I don't think it's to minimize the importance oh, no. of the Old Testament at all, because as we see, or as we will see, I should say, as we wake, make our way through Hebrews, the allusions and the references and, and the outright like correlations to the Old Testament in this book are uh, quite strong and rather numerous. In fact, the whole, the whole verse 5 through 14, the end of chapter 1, is all references to the Old Testament about uh, the angels and God and things that he has said. So, at many times and in many ways, uh, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And I th- it's, it's, we, we talked about the gap a couple episodes ago between the, the prophets, that, that 400 years of silence um, from God between the prophets and Jesus. But I, I think it's, he's, the author is making two distinctions here. Because later we're going to see he's distinguishing Jesus from the angels. And here he's distinguishing Jesus from the prophets. Mm-hmm. Like God's main way of communicating to his people was general revelation, right? Creation. Everything that we can see, smell, taste, touch, all of that, and the prophets. Jesus is separate from them. Later on, Jesus is separate from the angels. So. It's interesting to me that right away the author's making this distinction, right? Old Testament prophets, Jesus separate. What are your thoughts on those first two verses? I think uh, while we don't know who the specific audience is, I think it is certainly he is speaking to people who are familiar um, with Jewish tradition, the Jewish Bible, uh, the Bible at the time, Scripture, mm-hmm. um, and so they have they have a knowledge of this, you know. And so, what you say, you know, 
he certainly will go much deeper as we get into the book, but he's really not wasting their time. He's not rehashing things that they already know. And so, um, it's, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't spend too much time. The author didn't spend too much time, um, rehashing what the prophet said Mm -hmm. or the Jewish, you know, the Hebrew history. Um, but immediately kind of goes into this, you know, elevating Jesus to this status of, um, you know, being the son of God, which, you know, he hasn't even really referred to Jesus yet. <laughs> he just says, you know, uh, uh, spoke to us by his son, mm-hmm. um, who's his, you know, his heir, uh, who created the world. And so, um, yeah, so it's it's certainly a um, an audience who would be familiar with Hebrew tradition and an audience that is familiar with what the claims of Jesus were. You know, he doesn't even have to yes. point out that I'm talking about Jesus. So yeah, that's a great point. And so you, you frequently talked about how James would say things. I was thinking exactly what you're about to say. <laughs> and what is that? The brevity. Then the, yeah. abil- the ability to encapsulate yes. such a broad knowledge base yep. and idea in one sentence. Right. And, you know, it, that seems to have been lost. We don't really have that ability today. At least a lot of people don't have that uh, ability yeah, today. Yeah, if only people and, on Twitter could do this, Twitter yeah. would be a lot more worthwhile. Right. Well, and even in that, he's he's probably even, you know, making an argument here. He's building his case for something. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't need to point out how, what they're thinking or, you, you know, he doesn't have to point out all the negative and kind of downplay what they're believing. In fact, in a lot of ways, he's he's bolstering what they've believed in the past. Yes, this is how God spoke to us. He spoke to us through the prophets. Um, but now we've arrived at this place where he's spoken to us by his son. So, yeah, I just, it's, I have, I have an appreciation for, um, you know, we discussed prior to to doing this, you know, how many verses we're going to look at. And honestly, the first four verses have plenty in this, in this first chapter of Hebrews for us to discuss. So meaty stuff. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, so just real quick, I'm going to take a pop us out for a second. Um, I will be referencing quite a bit, I imagine, in the coming episodes, um, excerpts from the commentary that I have. It is the New International Commentary of the New Testament on the Epistle to the Hebrews, written by one F.F. Bruce, who passes the scholarly uh, author name test. <laughs> and uh, there's a quick passage that I want to read to you guys. Um, and ladies from uh, that commentary, and it's about divine revelation, right? So in earlier times, God spoke in many different ways, many times to our forefathers through the prophets, but now he's spoken through the Son. So this, this idea of God's divine revelation and how he has done it has changed. And so it says, divine revelation is thus seen to be progressive, but the progression is not from the less true to the more true, from the less worthy to the more worthy, or from the less mature to the more mature? How could it be so when it is one and the same God who is revealed throughout? Human conceptions of God may change, but the evolution of the idea of God is quite quite a different thing 
from the progression of uh, progress of divine revelation. The progression is one from promise to fulfillment and is made abundantly clear in the course of this epistle. The men and women of faith in the Old Testament days did not in their lifetime experience the fulfillment of the divine promise in which they had trusted, because with us in mind, God had made a better plan that only in uh, company with us should they reach their perfection, which is referencing chapter 11, verse 40, the same book. So this, this concept of the, the progression of divine revelation has gone from promise, i.e. what he said through the prophets and the wisdom literature, to fulfillment which he accomplished in Jesus, his son. Mm-hmm. And I love that he put in here those caveats where he says, not from less true to more true or from less worthy to more worthy or from less mature to more mature. Like the New Testament isn't more mature or more worthy or more true than the Old Testament. It is simply a progression from what God had promised he would do in the future to what God accomplished in the time of Jesus. And subsequently, what has been accomplished in the lives of those that have been adopted into his family uh, since that time. And this is a really, really interesting topic or concept to me. This idea of promise and fulfillment, promise and fulfillment. And the fact that, you know, we had a lengthy discussion last episode about healing and my mom still Mm -hmm. being sick. And what God promises, according to the Bible, God fulfills in every instance. And to the best of my knowledge, God has never promised that my mom would be healed in her lifetime. That was never a promise. But it's... There's this concept of you know, the life to come, right? When, when God brings heaven down, judgment happens, and we have eternal life with God in, in his presence, and we worship, and all is made right. You know, I, if I believe what God says about his promises, that those promises will be fulfilled, I'll know that my mom will be healthy in those days, and so will I. My sin, my... uh just the crap that I do won't be a hindrance anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's something that I can rely on being in the time that I am, which is 2000 years after God fulfilled all of his promises in Jesus. And I think that's a benefit that we often overlook as, you know, current time Christians is the people living before Jesus that were followers of God were living 100% on promise, on what God was going to do, something that they might never see in their lives. And here we stand, you and I, and everyone listening to this episode, and even those that aren't listening, as people that live after all the promises have been fulfilled and yet we're like, yeah, I'm not so sure. <laughs> you know, God sounds like kind of a control freak and I'm not into that. I mean, I am a control freak. I want to control my own life. So, you know, you do whatever, but it's just, it's so interesting to me 
to think about what it would, and we, we spoke about this last episode too, about the people, you know, in Iran and China and other places that are Christians nowadays where the faith really is a considerable risk to them and their family's well-being, let alone livelihood or existence. Um, and so to think about the faith that God's people had to have when everything was just a promise. And they were surrounded by worshipers of Baal and all of these other gods and, you know, mythologies and that sort of stuff to stand, stand firm in what they believed. Based on oral tradition. Like, that, that, it, it kind of is a punch to the gut for me of, of, of what sort of privilege we have being when we are mm-hmm. with the resources we have to, to understand yeah, scripture yeah. and to know that we're not living on promises. We're living on hope to see the fulfillment of those promises that occurred 2000 years ago. Hopefully that made sense. I don't know. Yep. So he or she, because there's there's a theory, Dave, that this was written by Priscilla and Aquila. Oh, really? A husband, a husband <laughs> and wife duo um, who are mentioned uh, in a couple other places uh, leading a house church in Rome, mm-hmm. which would account for the switch between we and I. Uh, from the author's perspective, it's it's a somewhat popular theory, um, and I'd be that'd be kind of cool, you know, a husband and wife combo writing a book in the Bible. I think that would be neat, especially given the times that it was written. And there's a lot of people that support this theory as a reason for why the authors aren't named because of a lot of the anti-feminine, you know, sure, you know, patriarchal society and women can't do this and can't do that and all that nonsense. So. Uh, the rest of verse two says, uh, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world, which is like, that's the end of the business card right there. <laughs> uh, he spoke to us by his son. Also uh, creator of the world and heir to all things. Like, <laughs> Mine just says masters of biblical studies. Yours says creator of the world and heir of all things. <laughs> and much like James, he just tags it on at the end. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, those are statements that got Jesus murdered. Like, they are no small right. yeah, absolutely. statements. And he just tags them on the end, just as a reminder of who we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. And I love it. And then yes. we get to verse three, which is, goodness me, what a verse. It says, he, referring to Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Man, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I just, I think it's that continuation of, you know, when he says he is the radiance of the glory of God... Um, he is basically 
saying that Jesus is equal to God. Which, like you said, a lot of you know, got Jesus in trouble, uh, got him in cru- got him crucified. So there's just that that continuation of um, he is on par with God. He is God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. You know, in essence, he's saying the the, the one and the two are the same. And so, um, I honestly don't know if there's any argument for the trilogy or the trilogy, the Trinity in the book of Hebrews. But here he is making argument for the Father and the Son and them being one and and the same. And yeah, that's just, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of even go flip from what I said earlier in terms of, um, so so I guess it's still true. Uh, A simple statement that, that carries so much but if you really think about what those what that means, the radiance of the glory of God, I mean, just what an awesome reality that is when you think about the radiance of the glory of God, and then second of all, the exact imprint of his nature. I mean, both those things are just phenomenal statements, phenomenal uh, phrases and the implications um, that they have for them. And then just, again, consistent with who Jesus is, um, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You know, there's, 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 I guess the way I'll, I'll put that is, is that there's, there's an active participation in creation and the world by God, by Jesus. Um, it is not a um, wind it up and let it go, but an essence of what the universe is, is held together by his power. And so, yeah, you, you would not be making, you know, you talk about, you, you're, you're saying how fortunate it is for us to live and we live, and you can say these things, and <laughs> you're not going to be killed for them. And that's, I mean, these, this was, this, these were things that could get you killed. These were things you just did not say, and you did not say them uh, to a Jewish audience. You did not make the argument to a Jewish audience in terms of uh, Jesus' divinity and who he was. So. Uh, incredibly powerful words and words that could, in essence, get the author killed. Mm-hmm. Um, not something that would be taken lightly. Um, and really just a challenging uh, what it meant to be um, a Hebrew, what it meant to be a Jew. And even in that, again, it's just, it's not confrontational. It's not argumentative. It's simply proclaiming, you know, who God is and what he's about and allowing that to stand on its own merit. Yeah. I think of like the concept, like the radiance of something is like the overflow of it. And I'm not sure if that's a great analogy, but like God was, God's glory is so vibrant and so alive and so active and so beautiful that like the radiance, the overflow of that was Mm -hmm. this man who lived on earth as we'll see later in Hebrews, was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Like, yeah. And then died on the cross so that we could approach the throne of grace in our time of need. And it's... I, I, I had this analogy when, when I read this, I don't know, a month or two ago, this concept of like the, how the moon reflects the light of the sun at night. Like I remember growing up thinking the moon was just a really, really dim version of the sun. And then I found out in school, like, <laughs> no, the moon doesn't actually have any light. 
the reason the moon lights up in the night sky is because it's reflecting the light of the sun. Mm-hmm. And I remember like that just blew my, like, but the sun, the sun set, how can it, you know, and, you know, physics and, and you know, just <laughs> size and all that. But I, I think of, of that here, and I don't know if it's a one-to-one analogy, so you might have to forgive that, uh, forgive me of that. But this idea that God sent his son into a dark and broken world where there was no light, and Jesus was the light of the world. And if Jesus was fully God and fully man, and he was the radiance of God's glory, perhaps the analogy is is that Jesus was the moon in the night sky, bringing the light of God into the world. And if Jesus got murdered for just reflecting the light, or being the radiance of God's glory in human form, like what's going to happen when God shows up in full? Not that Jesus wasn't fully God, he was. But there's a difference between when Jesus was on earth and when Judgment Day is going to happen. And God comes and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, right? Like, those are, those are different things in Scripture. And so I just wonder, man, if, if, if Jesus being a light in the darkness, like the moon is, was enough to get him killed and enough to start the church and enough for all the disciples, barring John, to get martyred for their faith, and for the church to persist for 2,000 years. If Jesus and his light in the darkness was enough for that to happen, what is going to happen when it's, you know, the end yeah. of the game and God comes in full force and heaven comes and meets earth and judgment day happens and everyone goes, oh, crap. <laughs> or some people go, woohoo, finally, you know, like we've been waiting. Um, but just the, the sheer, you know, and I'm, and I'm thinking of uh, uh, Moses and God and God saying, you can't handle my presence, but I'll walk by and you can look at my back. Or, you know, uh, other times in scripture where like, uh, it might even have been Moses again, where like his, his face was glowing because of the presence. Like just thinking of all these times that, that the radiance of God has affected human, humankind and in and, and, the way that that has, has bore itself out. And every time there's, you know, something special and unique and not normal that happens. Yeah. Well, and, and you, you know, you even re- referenced Moses and him glowing. And I think even that he was glowing from the reflection of God, you know, God mm-hmm. couldn't even show him his front, you know, couldn't. So yeah, it's like a double whammy of, just how powerful and how awesome he is and what his radiance means. And it, yeah, and it goes on to say the exact imprint of God's nature. And also, you know, end of the business card, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. <laughs> really? I just, I, it's such a, it's such a strong start. It's not even the full verse, because then it goes on to say, after making purification for sins, it's like well, after making brownies, no, after making purification for sins by wrongfully being accused of stuff he wasn't guilty for, being tried by people who are out for his skin, and then being beaten, mocked, humiliated, and murdered and abandoned by everyone closest to him, including God, because God could not look on sin. So when Jesus was on the cross, dying, struggling for breath, bleeding to death, suffocating to death, 
when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not because he's dying. It's because right. for the first time in eternity, Jesus is alone. He's never been alone. He's always been mm. in relationship yep. with the Holy Spirit, with his God. They, they have always and forever always will exist in relationship with each other. But in that moment, he's alone and he's never felt what right. that is before. And in that moment, we'll read again later in, in chapter four about how Jesus can s- sympathize with our weaknesses because he was human. But in that moment, he, he's able to jump the gap from sympathy to empathy because he has finally experienced what it's like to be without God. Right. And it's terrifying. Yeah. And the difference is, is that he knows he's without God. Until the Holy Spirit intervenes in our lives, we have no idea that we're without God. Right. But he is fully aware. And that's why he says, why, why have you forsaken me? Like, where'd you go? Why, why am I alone here? And it's, this has been, has been just bouncing around in my head for the last six weeks after teaching about this at youth group and just really like, for some reason, that concept of Jesus being alone has really impacted me more recently. And I think it's probably because I feel alone a lot now. Mm-hmm. Um, like I just, I feel very alone. I know I'm not alone. I know that I have people that care about me and that love me. And I have friends and I have, you know, like I have a really good support system, but with my wife leaving and having that relationship taken from me and having that companionship and that teammate-ness, right, just mm-hmm. taken away, like I feel alone and naked in a lot of ways. And so thinking about Jesus experiencing that for the first time on the cross has really connected with me of like, oh, he gets it. Like he really gets it in a way that I never could. Like if, if I feel this way about my loneliness and my pain and my regret and, you know, you know, what if this or what, what if that, what did Jesus feel? Forget the physical pain. That's a whole nother thing that I'll never understand. I, mm-hmm. I, well, I, hope, I hope to never understand what it feels like to be crucified. But just the, the, the depth of my emotional, you know, struggle recently is enough, you know, is enough. I don't want more. I don't, I don't want more. But what Jesus experienced was even deeper. And still he went through with it. And that's, I mean, it really is staggering to me that while I was his enemy, while I was actively hostile towards him, he would go through that. And not just for me, but for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's not just my hostility he died for. It's for the hostility and the hatred and the sin of every single human being who has ever existed, currently exists, or will ever exist. Which is, whew, 
That's, I don't know, Dave, that's a lot, man. Absolutely. Yep. So after all that, after all that, he sits down at the right hand <laughs> of the majesty on high. And this is really important. He sets this up here in the third verse because we're going to get to Jesus sitting at the right hand of God later on when we talk about him being high priest. When we talk, like, so we'll get to what all of that means later on in the book. But it's really, really interesting to me that he sets up where Jesus sits this early on in the book. Because it's, it's going to be a key point later on. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And I think we can maybe save talking about that until next episode because the rest of chapter one is the author explaining what he means by this and giving biblical proof for why Jesus is above angels. As if the first three verses didn't already do that. <laughs> uh, he is going to quote quite a bit of uh, other places in scripture to support his thesis. So I guess the concept here is. God used to talk to his people in different ways and at different times through prophets. Now he has done so through his son in these last times. Here's why his son Jesus is so important. Also, here's why he's above angels, and we'll get to that next episode. But the, the, the overarching idea here, I think, and Dave, correct me if you, if you disagree, um, is that he is making, in short time, an incredible argument for the uniqueness the importance, and the, um, oh, what's the word? I can't come up with another word. Uniqueness <laughs> and importance, right, of who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. You know, a good preacher would have had three of the same letter there, but apparently <laughs> I'm just a mediocre podcaster. But, yeah, he is, he is making an argument for why Jesus is so important and why we should pay attention. And if we go back to the roots of this podcast, five and a half years ago, it was a show about what Jesus said and did and why it matters today. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what the author of Hebrews is making a case for here. This is Jesus. This is why he matters. This is why we should pay attention to what he said and did. Mm -hmm. And here's the rest of the book. Um, so, man, I don't know about you, but I'm excited to spend some some time Absolutely, studying this yeah. book. Definitely. All right. <laughs> you doing all right? Um, my voice is giving out on me and feeling a little into the weather, so hopefully I'm oh, not coming no. down with anything. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Well in that case we will uh <laughs> we will land this plane gently. Folks, thank you so much for your time. And for checking out this episode of the Masterclass Podcast. If you want to get in touch, you can check out the show notes. Uh, they're going to be in the podcast app that you're listening to the show on. Um, or you can also go to supermegacorp.net slash masterclass slash 168. The show notes will be there. And in those show notes, you will find links to Twitter, email, and a phone number. So you can use any of those options to get in touch. Say, hey, offer a suggestion, ask a question, offer a correction. Uh, you know, or like I said, just say, hey, it'd be great. And uh, we'll have links to other stuff we talked about in this episode. And then uh, we will be back with episode 169 uh, in a little bit, and we will finish out chapter one of the book of Hebrews. I think that's going to do it, Dave. I think you did that beautifully. Finally. <laughs> Finally got it. <laughs> All right. We will talk to you next episode. Bye. Bye.